Stay tuned for Mind Body Health coming up next. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, Marvin. We have a great show that everybody that listens will benefit from it if they'll take note. It's a really good show on physical therapy with Dr. Emily Peterson. And we're going to talk about all kinds of physical therapy stuff that um, I personally have been uh, benefiting from because with my advanced age, I realized I should have been doing things differently a long time ago. So first of all, I'd like to introduce um, Emily Peterson. Good morning. Good morning. Happy to be here. Great. Well, my first question is always, how did you get to Mendocino County? Um, Mendocino County. So that's kind of a fun story. Um, I, uh, right after school, I worked in the Bay Area for about an, uh, a year and then decided that I was 26 and free and might as well move to Maui. So I did. And right before I did, I met someone and he was from Ukiah. So I lived in uh, Maui for about a year. And right when I left, when I, right when I was about to leave Maui, I found a travel job in Ukiah and I ended up here and I never left. Very good. Okay. Well, first of all, I want, want you to tell what, uh, tell people about the fact that you have a doctorate in physical therapy, because I don't think most people really understand physical therapy as a profession. Sure. So just like uh, med school or chiropractic school for PT, you have to go get a bachelor's um, with prerequisites, a lot of psych and a lot of pre-med and sciences and that kind of thing. Um, and then as of 2020, all state schools and all schools in California, at least, and maybe even nationally, now require a doctorate. So anyone with a bachelor's or master's gets grandfathered in. Um, but otherwise, it's a doctorate, which really was just more research. Like I had to do research to graduate. Um, but I think it involves a lot more than what people understand. Um And I think where PTs are a lot different than a lot of other people in Western medicine is we're really more kinesiologists and biomechanists um, and kind of like posture and movement experts. And that's what a lot of PTs are really trying to classify themselves as, as we do manual therapy. um, And some PTs are really manual therapy based. And I would say I'm one of them, Um, but we really look at movement as a diagnostic So instead of basing things off of static images like MRIs or x-rays, we look at how someone moves, and then that gives us a diagnostic of what the impairment is and what needs to be treated. I'll just say as a um, a little aside, I was in Covalo when this 12-year-old girl came in complaining of uh, problems walking, et cetera. And it was fascinating to me to take a picture of her from her uh, back, back from behind her and have Emily tell me, oh, well, you notice that her right hand is lower than her left, her left hip is up. Just the way that she was standing was an unnatural sort of thing, and that's why she thought she was having these problems. But we're just going to start off and, and have um, Dr. Peterson tell us about the 102-year-old who golfs. That's that sort of thing. You know, Why can't we all be doing that? Yeah, so I've been working in skilled rehab for the last four years, and we see patients, uh, technically mostly geriatric patients, but geriatric runs from, you know, 60 to 100. So you have this huge gap, and we see all kinds of kinds. And so most most of the time, it's people who are pretty impaired who don't go home who have to go to rehab unless they have something really significant. 
Um, but it's crazy how many people come in who are in the 50s or 60s. Um, and we have these big uh, mat tables that we do a lot of neuro stuff with them on. And how many of them can't get on their stomach or can't get on their elbows or can't get down and crawl or get onto the floor? Um, and when you ask them to do it, they'll say things like, we haven't done this in 20 years. Like, why do you expect me to be able to do this? And yet those are the same developmental movement patterns that we do as babies <laughs> to increase our core stability. And they're all innate movement patterns. Um, but people stop doing stuff like that. Whereas then you have these other people um, and just a few that come to my mind, the 102-year-old, we had this guy who came in for some heart stuff. Um, but he would still get on the golf course and he'd only do maybe two or three holes a game, but he still got out with his sons and would golf. And he just stayed able-bodied enough to be able to do what he enjoyed. And he kind of modified as he aged. Um, I think of my grandma, who's a great example, who still to this day, she turns 90 next week um, and she gets on her bike twice a day and goes for a ride and she bikes to Safeway to get her groceries. Um, yeah. And so, and she's someone, she was on prednisone for 20 years and she has horrible stenosis and all sorts of problems, but um, she can be in flexion. So she's really loved biking and she's just done that her whole adult life. And it's not that these people were Olympic athletes when they were 30. You know, it's unusual to have a 90-year-old grandmother bicycling. Mm -hmm. um, what did What did they do when they were, you know, 30 and 40 and 50 or whatever to to make a difference. And what's, I guess that's the, per, one of the purposes of the show is what should we people be doing now so they can be enjoying uh, physical health later in life? Mm -hmm. Well, I think the concept of health is very marred in our society. You know, we look at someone's body as whether, you know, whether that person's healthy or not. Um, but I think it ultimately comes down to daily decisions um, you know, daily bike riding or daily walking or not paying someone to do something you can do. Um, an interesting study came out and showed that gardening had the same kind of cardiovascular health benefits as jogging. <laughs> you really? know, so people just being outside in their garden and planting and getting sunshine and interacting with the earth had similar benefits from doing some kind of cardiovascular exercise. And so, I think what a lot of the research is pointing to, it's not necessarily what you do. It's that you enjoy what you're doing and that you do it consistently. Um, and I think a lot of times what you find are people who are in their thirties or forties who find hobbies um, that they really enjoy. And then they continue those hobbies and modify and adapt as needed. Um, but they never stop because once you stop, then it's a lot harder to get on the train again. On the train again. You talk a lot about um, posture, flexibility, strength. Mm -hmm. I don't think most people walking around um, today don't think about their posture or how they're, you know, um, me being one of them, um, how flexible they are or <clears throat> that they don't stretch like they should. Um, mm -hmm. Go into the, um, you know, how to prevent a problem rather than to deal with the consequences. Sure. Um, there's one quote I really like, and um, I've been going to some continuing education classes, um, Shirley Sauerman-based ones, which is all movement, impairment, and diagnostics. And she has a quote that's, a practice doesn't make perfect, it makes permanent. 
Um, and so that's the way we think about posture. If you're sitting, you know, in your car four hours a day and you're sitting in this specific pattern, then um, certain muscles are being lengthened, certain muscles are being shortened, and your body is adapting and morphing into that posture over time. Um, and so it's not so much that we have to have this perfect posture all the time, but if you're in that posture eight or nine or 10 hours a day, then your body is constantly changing and usually for the worst. Um, so I think that's where going to see someone like a PT like myself is really advantageous because you can have an external perspective of, hey, this isn't causing you pain, but this will cause you pain. This isn't, you know, maybe you don't have symptoms now because you don't have a specific inflammation or an inflammatory process going on, but I can see a whole biomechanical line of force, you know, that will cause impairments in the future. Um, and a lot of times it's, we talk about adherence and it's not so much like home exercise programs that people are adhered to. You know, you do exercises for a week or two, maybe eight weeks, and then you give up on it. But if someone can give you tips about, oh, hey, why don't you alter this movement pattern and sit like this in your car or support yourself better in your desk chair or uh, lift, you know, when you're lifting heavy, make sure you do this first. Um, then people can adhere to that and then they take that um, and, and run with it for the rest of their lives usually. And a lot of times it's just little tweaks like that. Um, that's why I think education is so important because it's all about body awareness. You can never change something if you don't know it's there. But once you're aware of it, then you can start to make changes. I thought it was interesting what you said. Everybody goes sees the dentist once a year. Mm -hmm. I've gone and seen a physical therapist once a year for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. I remember Don Kersey telling me what a difference yoga made for him. I made fun of him at the time, and now I realize that he's Mr. Flexible and I'm stiff as a, you know. <laughs> A piece of wood. Um, so uh, it's that um, I w I'm just fascinated by the fact that you can uh, evaluate somebody and and myself included and be so unaware of these bad habits or postures or or um, um, lack of flexibility that I have that just doesn't even come into my mind. I, mm -hmm. I think you know, because I've always done it that way. I never thought about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think this is kind of off topic a little bit, but that's what I really love about PT in general is a, the way our whole medical kind of system works. It's like you show up with a problem, there's a static image, and then there's nothing you can do about it except for, you know, being on pharmacology, uh, something to take away the pain, and then only the symptom is addressed. Whereas I think PTs really look, we're not looking at the symptom. Maybe we do things to reduce the symptoms, but we're looking at the root of the problem. And we're saying, well, why is this being caused? So someone has a labral tear and we're not saying the labrum is not the diagnosis. It's actually that the humeral head is unstable inside the joint. Now the labrum I can't go in and fix, but I can change the stability of that joint. And so I think it's when the right, um, when the right verbiage is used and the right education is used, then people are no longer helpless, you know, to fix their problems. And they they can kind of be given a map to say, you don't have to end up like your dad. You don't have to end up like your buddy. You know, there are things you can do now to avoid that. I think that's an important thing about that most of medicine is dealing with the end result or the, the problem, the torn labrum, which is the 
part of the shoulder joint rather than why did it happen in the to begin with mm-hmm. why didn't what and what can you do to prevent it from getting worse mm-hmm. we're we're not a prevention oriented um medical group you know in mm-hmm. general medical society mm-hmm. um so Here's a part that I think I hope everybody will listen closely to. Movement is medicine. I I would like you to discuss that because I think if people just listen to this part of the show um, and think about how they can um, be more active. Our, our whole society is one of, you know, you don't even have to have a key to open the door anymore. I don't know why we're all not in, in little wheelchairs puttering about Safeway. Um, We actually are still walking um, because everything we do is sitting in front of the television and Amazon deliver at your door. Um, So talk about movement as medicine because that I think is a crucial part to doing, being healthier. Sure. I think, um, you know, like there's not necessarily one right thing. Um, You know, there's always new research on what the best thing is to do. Um, but I think for a lot of us, it's finding something that we enjoy. Um, and one thing I wanted to address was common barriers to why people don't exercise, because we all know we need to. It's, you know, we all know our doctors have told us, research told us. Um, but I think a lot of people, especially when they start aging, they have this belief system that exercise might cause their pain or it might cause their problems to get worse which could be the case if they already have a lot of dysfunctional stuff going on and then they do something that increases that stress load. Um, But there are some fun little studies um, about exercising causing pain because a lot of people say, I don't run anymore. You know, it, it's bad for my knees. I don't want a knee replacement. And in one study they did, um, they showed that 30, uh, that they studied dedicated runners who run over uh, 10 miles a week and then people who didn't run at all. And they showed that the runners had 34% less mortality rate and they had significantly less musculoskeletal disability and less arthritis in their x-rays, which was really interesting. interesting. Yeah. And so a lot of times people think, well, that's hard on my knees. That causes wear and tear. But actually, when you don't move and you don't exercise, um, our cartilage, which uh, decreases the compressive forces, that's not vascularized. And so what you need is you need movement to actually get vascularity into your cartilage. So movement um, actually improves the health of your joints. Um, And then where PT comes in is that you're just making sure that the the movement is well, that you're moving in a good, you're moving in a good way that the joint is staying in a good position. That's not causing, um, causing forces that could lead to to problems. Um, But Big picture with movement as medicine, I think, um, you know, everyone has different things they like. And I think a lot of the reasons why people don't move is because they try one thing, you know, like they try CrossFit and then they're like, I can't do that. That's too hard. And then it's just, you know, I can't exercise because they have this one view of exercise. So I think part of it is opening our minds up to what is exercise. Um, And I think a few things that really help with that is learning how to make it fun. So choosing something or someone that you really like, and then um, having fun with it. We are all dopamine um, addicts, you know, so if you go and you enjoy it, then you're a lot likely to return to it. Um, I think making it a challenge is really helpful. And um, 
I've done triathlons, not necessarily because I love doing the triathlon, but I love the people that I do it with. And then we make it a challenge. So we have our little watches synced to each other and then we get to keep each other accountable for what we do. Um, and then I think a big thing is pairing the exercise or whatever you want to do with other things you like, whether that's like you enjoy being outdoors or you enjoy good music or you enjoy certain people and they only have an hour a week to give you. Okay. Meet at 6am on the hour they have to give you and do something active with them that you both enjoy. Um, we we'll always have time to go drink in the bars, mm-hmm. you know, well, you do. <laughs> Very good. Um, I do think, you know, personally, I go to the gym. And half the reason I go to the gym is because of the people that I see. You know, I don't see otherwise. It's a, I disconnect from my life otherwise. And I enjoy doing the different things. And there's so many different things to do. I think you make a good point about it. Trying to make it a social activity, not so much how many pounds of weight you can lift or how far you've run. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's always room for being in the gym and, and making goals. And, sh- you know, sh- I'm a big fan of strength training. Um, and I think a lot of it is even just, you know, being away from your phone for an hour a day, you know, <laughs> and not being bothered by people or looking at emails. Um, and then, yeah, I think that has a huge role in it as well. I was also surprised at the how much better you feel afterwards because your endorphins go up. It's mm-hmm. almost like taking narcotics that you feel mm-hmm. better. You're happier, you're more relaxed, etc. I think long-term as well, they show that people who regularly exercise have significantly less chance of having depression and anxiety. So you have the short-term effects of feeling happy, getting the endorphins, but I think even just little bits of exercise and vitamin D every day actually help stave off depression and anxiety. I saw a fascinating study where they took um, a couple of hundred people on both sides and um, 200 people got an antidepressant pill, mm-hmm. okay? The other group didn't get the pill, but they went for 30-minute walks three or four times a, a week. They did better at the end of the 60 or 90 days, mm-hmm. the people that weren't on the pill. And we, sh- we shovel out antidepressant pills all the time, mm-hmm. but in fact... If you just get out and move and do something you enjoy, it's better for you. Mm -hmm. And on another note, to go off of something that, you know, a lot of us think we don't um, or that we can't change is in geriatry, a lot of dementia and a lot of Alzheimer's. And what they're finding, I listened to one um, article and podcast all about dementia and Alzheimer's, and they are saying, you know, they did a study and they did 18 different drugs to see if there was any kind of long-term result in preventing dementia and Alzheimer's. And the only intervention that actually had any any statistically significant difference was regular exercise. And they even said that exercise reduced dementia by 30% and Alzheimer's by 45%, which is pretty astounding. Um, So um, exercise doesn't just prevent uh, depression and all that, but it actually provides a neuroprotective effect for any kind of event in the future. And believe it or not, that's one thing that most people are scared to death of is dementia. There's 900,000 people in California with dementia. Think if, you know, they've been walking and exercising and a huge Mm -hmm. social burden taking care of somebody with dementia as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so when do you have to start doing this? Can you, does it help any any age group? Um, if you don't start doing this by 45, you're you're toast. Or what's the? How do you see the different? You know, level. I think there's, I think there's uh, studies to show you know for specific things, it's better to start earlier. Like women, you know, doing resistance training in their 20s and 30s to prevent osteopenia in their 60s and 70s and that kind of thing. But I think otherwise, um, I really like the idea of the 1% rule of, you know, you don't have to go and make these huge resolutions, but at any point in time, you just need to think what's one thing I could do to get 1% better today than I was yesterday. And you can implement that at any stage of your life. And going back to the dementia and Alzheimer's, I think not only it is important what you do when you're 30 and 40 and 50 or when you're 70 and 80, but exercise even has the ability to reverse effects of dementia and actually improves, um, I think, hippocampal, that it, it increased the hippocampus, it improved memory, um, and it improves neuroplasticity so people could respond better. Um, it, it, regardless of the age. Mm-hmm. So even if they already had dementia, it was still proved a benefit. You know, one thing that I also surprised reading about um, osteoporosis or not having enough calcium in your bones is extremely common among white women. And then mm-hmm. when I found out that black women have twice the calcium in their bones when they're 20-something versus a white woman, just genetically. Hispanics mm-hmm. are somewhere in between. And that um, I, for some reason, had osteopenia, not quite enough calcium in my bones. I had to get an x-ray when Dr. Delwato floored me playing football one day at the ER uh, retreat. Um, and I noticed my hand did not have, didn't look thick enough. And sure enough, I had, you know, uh, not quite enough uh, calcium in my bones. And I started riding my bike. Mm-hmm. And just the riding the bike for a year, it completely reversed it. And I didn't, you know, I, I checked it a couple of times and I didn't have that problem anymore. Just this, what would you call it? The stress or the exercise of the bicycle was enough to uh, increase the calcium deposition in my mm-hmm. skeletal system. And an and aside, Dr. Lovato never uh, seemed to be, um, you know, he's, he thought it was completely fair what he did to me in this little, you know, football game, just inside. <laughs> so I think there's a lot of things that, especially female women, need to be to not be the, you know, the, you know, the thin woman that has the hip fracture, which is almost a death sentence, you know, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a couple of years after, you know, after that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where, like, people like my mom, who, you know, in their mid-60s, it is really good to do, uh, like, even walking is considered some kind of resistance training because you're still having forces transmitting through your mm-hmm. body, whereas, like, swimming isn't. Um, but even just doing one to two days of resistance training um, is really, really beneficial because the muscles are then pulling on the bones and the bones have to respond to stress and they respond to stress by staying strong. Um, I think one thing, you know, women want this like tiny little figure and so they don't really lift very heavy. Um, but one of the biggest things is people don't, um, not that you have to be lifting really heavy weights, but people aren't intense enough. So they do little like, you know, three sets of 10 and never really push themselves. Whereas you could be just as effective by doing one set of 12 and just going really hard. 
the psychology of it all is very interesting to me. Why people, um, pe- some people just can't believe that I go to the gym or I ride my bike around Redwood Valley. But um, even my friend, I just returned from Austin, Scott Wilson, a very good friend of mine, is short and heavy. But he takes his dog out for a walk in this path amongst all these cedar trees out, out outdoors almost every day. And, you know, cardiovascular-wise, et cetera, he's doing great. Uh, he may not look like, you know, Charles Atlas, but it's certainly he's in good health because of it, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there was one. How, how do people make habit? I want to talk about that because you said it's right. I, I remember some article. Everybody makes these New Year's Eve resolutions. And by Valentine's Day, they've dropped them. Mm-hmm. What's the number one or two things to make this a change so people, you know, listen to this program and, and make a difference? Yeah, so I actually uh, wrote down some quotes and points from the book Atomic Habits, which I thought was really helpful. And it talks about not only getting rid of bad habits, but um, how to make good habits stick. Um, I, you know, I think we are the accumulation of everything we do every day. And um, he talks about four laws of behavior change. And so I think one of the biggest things is what you believe about exercise. Um, They did a big study on older adults, and they found that the people who were active actually believed that it helped them. Um, And I think a lot of times what we see with these people who can't lie down and can't roll at 70 is they don't actually believe that exercise does anything for them, you know. You know, they might think, oh, okay, it helps my heart, blah, 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 but they actually don't know all the scope of what it's doing for them. Um, so I like the four laws of behavior change. The first one is make it obvious. So be really clear in what you want. And I think a lot of that has to do with that is instead of saying, I want this, like I want to lose five pounds, um, it's identifying with a healthy person. So it's a lot more um, a lot more effective if I say I want to be a fit person and I want people to view me as a fit person versus I want to lose five pounds, Um, make it attractive. And I think that has to do with tying exercise or whatever you're interested in, in moving, um, make it fun for you. So if you're a mom with a bunch of little kids, you know, and you want a garden for your exercise, um, you know, maybe that's the 30 minutes a day that your husband's watching the kids and you get a little bit of peace to yourself or, Maybe that's the hour in the morning when you don't have your phone on and you get the sunshine and you get the birds and you go for your hour long walk. Um, I think a big thing is make it easy. Like you said, um, you know, you put your gym clothes in your car in the morning because if you had to go all the way home and then come back to the gym, it just never would happen. But if you're driving past the gym on the way home, then it's easy. That's an easy stop and it takes 20 minutes. Um, I remember reading in there saying like, if you want to start running, put your running shoes like at the door. So the second you go to open the door, you put them on. Um, you don't really get a choice. It's just there. It's reminding you it's obvious. Okay. And then how do I make it attractive? And then, um, a big thing is make it satisfying. So if you're going and you're punishing yourself, then it's going to be really hard because you're fighting against the grain all the time versus, okay, I don't necessarily want to wake up at six to go bike riding with my friends. But every time I'm done, I'm always in a better mood and a day because I got to hang out with the people I like and I feel really good about myself. And then that makes me coming back and I'm doing it over and over and again, even though I hate waking up at 530. I still do it. Um, 
And then I think a huge thing kind of talking about the socialization um, is from the book, they talk about joining a culture where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. And so if you're constantly surrounded by people who don't do and who aren't the type of person you want to be and, you know, in relation to exercise and habits and that kind of thing, then find people who are already doing what you want to do. And then that's going to be a very normal thing, you know, whether that be walking the dogs around the lake or going for bike rides at six in the morning, find people who do that and then join that culture. And then it's going to be way easier to jump into that and make that a normal weekly or daily thing. You know, I see diabetics all the time in the clinic and, you know, you're risking getting your limbs cut off and going blind and going on dialysis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that I try to get them to do is don't think about any of that, but every day I want you to go for a 15-minute walk. I guess um, big picture stuff is, uh, you know, PTs are um, a really interesting niche, and I think a lot of people don't know what we do um, and how we're different. I think a lot of people really view PT as something that you go to after surgery or after there's a really big problem. And unfortunately, we live in a society where insurance pays um, only after you have a problem. Um, but one thing that we really want to hone in on is the importance of prevention um, and changing things. Now is a lot of times you can make little tiny tweaks in your life um, that will lead to years of differences. Um, so instead of having uh, medical decline at 60, maybe you have really good years until you're 92 or 93. Um, and then I think um, is, the is just the importance of addressing something uh, prior to it becoming a really big problem. So there's a huge shift in PT becoming cash pay um, and based more on wellness services where you can go and get little tune-ups or check-ins. So instead of letting your back get to a point where you have stenosis and require a laminectomy, you know, at 32 and you start to have back pain, you can go get a check-in and get education on posture and just little things you can do and little habit changes you can make um, so that you can keep it at bay so it doesn't become a big problem later on in life. Well, we have Marvin on the phone, but I will add just a quick one on that because I am someone who's crossed that threshold to where my past is catching up with me. But <laughs> uh, but honestly, if I look back at what I've done, I mean, I'm sure like everyone, we've done stupid things, but you know, most of the pain and things that have developed now are left over from working, from working, you know, as hard as you can to support your family, et cetera. So how do you tell a 25 year old or a 30 year old, Hey, you, you got to turn it down a little bit, or you're going to, this is all going to break down even worse when you, you hit that threshold later. Well, actually interesting. You say that because um, my boss, Dana, if you're out there, um, she gave me before this, we were talking about, you know, what's important because Marvin gave me like three seconds to prepare for this. Um, but you know, what's Marvin, important. Your... And, uh, she okay, gave me an article tight. that showed 750,000 people die every year just from overworking, um, you know, overworking. And I, this is a whole different idea, you know, but um, there's this really good book called uh, Margins, and it's all about how we as a society live outside of our margins in every single facet of life. And physically, we have a little bit better idea of where our margins lie because we can feel it. Right. You know, it's like we start to hurt. We start to ache. 
but I think you can't address the physical problems unless you look at everything else, you know, the psychosocial. And if you're living outside your financial means, and so you have to work extra, and then because you're working extra and you're stressed financially, your home life sucks <laughs> and your relationship sucks. So you're emotionally and mentally fried. You know, then we, what we do is we see that all physically and it, it manifests physically, you know, but you can't address the physical stuff without looking at all the psychosocial and everything else. And so really learning to live within your margins and live on less and focus on the more simple things, I think, is where it's really important. I think you've made a great case for some of these things. I'd like you to do one or two, though, medical uh, issues. Everybody I know talks about their knees and ankles. And could you go through two case studies, one knee, one ankle, of uh, somebody comes in and they're having this trouble with their ankle, and what's the most common, you know, oh, my, I have this weak ankle, and what would a physical therapist do to assess it and treat it? Um, well, I'll switch that up a little bit. So ankle, okay. I'd say a lot of times, you know, ankle, it's probably more like common things for middle-aged people is like plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis. And so okay. if you see um, your doctor, then maybe they give you some cortisone shots or anti-inflammatories to prevent bone spurs and decrease the inflammation, which is looking at the symptom. Um Whereas with a PT, at least a good PT, what they'll do is they'll look at your whole body. And so a lot of times what happens is someone has like Achilles tendonitis or plantar fasciitis or ankle problems because their pelvis is off. Um, and a lot of times their pelvis is off. You can go to a chiropractor and get an adjustment. Um, but your body needs, you have to integrate that into your nervous system because we're not just bones and mice. We're people of habit. And just like we've talked about habits, our body's really good at remembering how we move. And so if my left hip is always hiked up higher, and then when I run, that foot is always taking more force because it's coming from higher, then I'm never going to address the problem by just looking and decreasing the inflammation in the Achilles tendon. I have to address what's coming from up above. Um, and same thing with knee is, and I'll give this example. So I have a student in the PTA program and we are doing gait assessments and we were watching his gait and we were watching that every time he walked, there was a lot of trunk movement and there was some dysfunction going on at his right hip. Um, and so I gave the example to my students, you know, like if this person, if DJ went to a physical therapist with left knee pain with running because he has more force going through his left knee and all they did was give him exercise for his left knee, then maybe he'd feel better for a couple days or a couple weeks, but then his knee pain would come back because it's not his left knee that's the problem, it's his right hip. And I think that's where, you know, a good PT right. is a lot different than a lot of other things because you're looking at the root of the problem, you're not looking at the symptoms. So we'll address the pain in the left knee, but he's never going to be able to run without that left knee pain at least run consistently unless we address what's going on in the right hip and then teach him how to run in that correct movement pattern. I think that's fascinating because I know all kinds of people that talk about plantar fasciitis and I tell them, oh, you know, get a good shoe or something, but I never even think of what's going on in their pelvis or hips um, as an etiology of the plantar fasciitis. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is where 
I love this. Uh, go see your PT once a year, like your dentist. You know, uh, I'm big into you know get, seeing my dentist. Um, but it is fascinating what you will compensate with and go along for decades and then have it get bad without thinking about what your health mechanisms or body mechanisms are um, that you're doing today. Can you tell us a little about us, about the physical therapy assistance program at the Mendocino College, which you teach at? Yeah, sure. So we're on our second cohort. I just gave my final on Sunday. Woohoo. Um, and so it's fairly new. Um, it's kind of like the nursing program. Um, but I think it's, uh, I work with some really amazing PTs and Dustin, who's the PTA who works there as well. Um, a really great group of clinicians. And I think um, it pro- provides a couple of services. One, you know, in Mendocino County, we're just short on everything. So we're doctors, nurses, PTs, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the p- fact that we're going to be able to pump out more PT assistance into the community is going to be huge so that people can see more PT. Um, I know right now it's like a six to eight week wait list just to go to a Adventist Health for PT, which is a huge problem. Um, and then secondly, I think uh, PT is just a really, I don't know, I love it and that's why I do it. Um, but it's a really unique field in medicine where um, the only ex- uh, the only drug we're prescribing really is exercise and stress management and eating well, um, things that I really believe in. And so we get a chance to pump the information into um, a bunch of kids and adults who either want a second chance at a career they want to do um, but I think overall, it's just uh, it's a really good program, and um, it's a really fun career field. And, and it's compared to what I had to do seven years of school to be able to do it in two years and then do a really similar job, I think, is, is a great opportunity for people who are interested in exercise and helping people. What, are, what qualifications or what do you have to have what before you go to PT school, PT assistant school? Um, so PT assistant right now, uh, you can go onto the website and look. Um, but for the most part, I think you have to take um, an anatomy. So anatomy and then either a physiology or human biology are the prerequisites. And then there is a introductory class kind of about being a physical therapy assistant, like a one unit class, online class that's also required. Um, so right now, Uh, There really aren't that many qualifications, Um, and we don't have too many people apply, but I'm guessing it will get more, um, we'll get more candidates when it becomes more popular, Um, and right now it's a lottery system, but because there's not many applicants, most people get in. Okay. Very good. Um, Sounds like you're doing a lot. Um, So if somebody just joined us, I just want you to go over these three things that you want everybody to do um, so they'll know, oh, this is what I should do to make myself healthier today um, because I'm looking forward to the gym. Okay. Um, Well, I'd say it's far easier to prevent a problem than to deal with the consequences. So if there's something you do now and it's just a nag, uh, just like if you had a little bit of a toothache, it's far easier to go deal with it now than to wait until it gets blown out of proportion. Um, Our body is really good at taking the path of least resistance and compensating. 
And so that problem, I think of my patients like onions. And so sometimes I peel an onion and then it's like, oh, okay. And I get closer and closer to the core of the problem. Um, but we're very good at, you know, piling all these things on top of each other. And so I'd say it's much better when it's simple. When something is really simple and at bay, then you can usually fix it very quickly versus waiting a really long time until it gets out of control. Um, I'd say if you're against exercising, then try to change your beliefs or find something about it that you really like. You can literally Google and I could give you like 10,000 reasons why exercise is beneficial, not only for your cognitive health, not only for your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, all of the above. Um, but I'd say, you know, movement is medicine. So explore different types of exercise and then make a list of things that you already enjoy or people you want to be like and figure out what you could do or how you could do it with them to make it an enjoyable activity. Um, and then and lastly, I'd say, you know, go, going back to the four laws of behavior change, if you want to make exercise a habit, make it obvious, make it attractive, make it easy and make it satisfying. Um, and I think that sets you up to make some little changes so that every day you can be 1% better. So we haven't uh, announced you can call 895-2448 to um, ask questions, but I'm going to ask questions and call in and say, gosh, my, my left knee has always bothered me, and I don't have a hip problem. Um, it's that I uh, injured my knee playing football in high school. Are there certain um, knee exercises or, you know, do, what do you, do you believe? I know going in these stores, there's all these sleeves or braces you can put on your knees. Uh, are those good things or bad things? What would you tell um, people for just basic stuff? So for basic stuff, if someone were having some kind of knee instability, then I believe in supporting supporting that person where they are. So like you talked a little bit about, you know, someone with plantar fasciitis. So sometimes right. if someone has a pelvic obliquity, what you do because that's causing pain, then you support them. Maybe you give them an arch support or something like that until you can change it. So if someone's working with a PT, you know, then what they can do is work to actually gain the stability around the joint, which is typically done with exercises that improve your control of that joint or specific movement patterns inside that joint. Um, but uh, it's, it's hard to say, you know, unless I'm looking at someone and evaluating them, what specifically would be done. Yeah. I think if someone's having a lot of shearing forces, which is abnormal forces through the joint when they stand and walk, um, sometimes just having like kinesio tape or a small knee brace improves the proprioceptive input and decreases the mm. stress just because you're more aware of it. And so a lot of times tape, it doesn't like change or tapes and braces and that kind of thing. It doesn't change any of the mechanics, um, but what it does change is your brain's awareness of it and it feels supported and left. And so then you have less pain. I have never understood kinesio tape. I remember several years ago, all of a sudden, all these Olympians had this, these big bands of tape on them. And I thought it was fascinating, and what it, it and and they're wearing it for the proprioception or how it feels, or what it. You um, know. Hmm. Well, they make different claims about it. 
So I'll wear it sometimes on myself um, for like postural cues. So kinesio tape kind of pulls in all different directions. So instead of just like an elastic, like Luca tape or something that pulls in a direction is very mechanical in nature. Kinesio tape mm-hmm. lifts. So it can be used for different things. A lot of times when the athletes use it, they'll use it for like decompression and circulation. Um, but then sometimes you can do it like if someone, uh, you know, say they sprain their, M- their um, like one of their elbow ligaments and they're, you know, consistently hurting it when throwing, then what they'll do is mm-hmm. they'll cross tape over it as a protective mechanism. Um, and then it's like a cue to them to not stretch through it in the way. So it's more of a cue than anything. So in general, using um, ankle braces, et cetera, when you have injured the lateral malleolus, the outside of your ankle for a simple mm-hmm. ankle sprain, that's good. But do you, how long would you wear it? Do you wear it all, all day long? Um, would you use them? Or just, would you just stay off your foot? Well, I wouldn't stay off your foot. Um, a lot of research doesn't even indicate that. So even the the whole rice thing has been kind of outdone. Of, you actually need really? pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ice is really great as an anesthetic. It doesn't really do anything for inflammation. Um, you know, protection really? to a point, but then weight bearing is really imperative. Um, uh, I'd say, you know, compression is really good. So using like the little sleeves for an ankle sprain after the sprain is really good. Um, but mm-hmm. eventually, so the problem is, is, you know, it all goes back to what's the chicken or the egg. A lot of times people, why they have ankle sprains is because they have glute weakness. And so they have no hip stability. And so then they have an ankle sprain, right? So you have to address the cause of the problem. Um, and then by addressing the cause hold of the hold problem, hold you, can you have an ankle sprain because you're, you have bad buttocks. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you have poor lateral stability in your hips. So then your ankle usually wow. goes, which ankles can be traumatic as well. But most of the research mm-hmm. shows that it's more hip related, um, you know, but then a lot of it That's is that you have to go back and train it. So if you have like consistent ligament sprains, you can use something to support. And sometimes people need that support because they don't have the ligamentous stability. Um, but you also want to go back in and teach you know, your body and your ankle to be aware because that will take an effect when you, you know, get older and you're walking and you lack the range of motion or you lack the strength or the stability. Um, you know, after an injury, I I think our body, it's like playing telephone. It's like your brain and your nerves are talking to each other, but they're not really getting the right message. And so you have to go in and then teach it how to communicate again. Otherwise it will never really completely heal from that injury and let me jump in here for just a second uh marvin we do have two callers on hold if you'd like to take those okay go ahead okay here's the first caller you're on live yes uh thank you thank you for taking my call uh i did miss part of the program it was a little choppy but i have a a left knee problem speaking of left knees and it was suggested that i get a shot I, i guess some sort of cortisone shot in the knee to relieve the pain and I was just wondering what are the do's and don'ts and advantages and disadvantages about that. Did you hear that, uh, Marvin? Um, I was going to let okay. Emily answer <laughs> what she thought about steroid shots. That was the question, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Well, if you want to, why don't you go and say advantages and disadvantages, and then I can give my <laughs> humble PT opinion. Okay. Okay. You know, I think that cortisone shots are great for specific reasons. Um, um, in general, cortisone shots um, are a short-term thing, um, and most people look at them as some sort of magical thing. Um, I think they're great for some specific things, but I'm not enough of an orthopedist to, to tell you how frequently um, most people don't benefit by these cortisone shots. I would think. But now let's hear what Emily has to say. Yeah, I've seen, you know, at in school we were pretty taught um, to be pretty anti them because, again, they're symptom management. And so we always want to address the root cause. So I think a lot of factors is how long has this pain been going on and have you tried conservative methods first? And if you've already tried conservative methods, um, then another thing to consider is cortisone is catabolic, meaning it breaks everything down. So any kind of steroid injection can then cause more bone breakdown or more cartilage degeneration. With that being said, if someone is having chronic pain, if you're in chronic pain and, you know, it's significant and there's a big inflammatory process and a knee replacement is maybe something that's going to be in your future. Um, I'll give an example. Andy, who's a PT assistant that I work with, had uh, a bunch of significant things going on. And so he got two uh, surgeon um uh, opinions and one of them wanted to do a meniscal repair and an ACL repair, but he's 65. And the other surgeon said, let's give you a cortisone injection. You're going to need a knee replacement anyways in a couple years. Um, and he had been hobbling around for about eight months and I had been helping him and working with him, but he couldn't bike anymore. And his leg muscles were atrophying and he was getting really weak. So you see all these like other flags that are concerning and he got a cortisone shot, and two days later, it was like he was a new man. <laughs> and so I've seen examples like that, too, where when there's a lot of inflammation, cortisone can be really helpful if your body's having a really hard time kicking that inflammation. But I always try to really encourage patients to do more natural ways of anti-inflammatory. If your body is in systemic inflammation because you eat crap, um, then sometimes it's helpful <laughs> to eliminate some of that crap, You know, reduce the sugar, reduce the breads, reduce the alcohol and then supplement with something like turmeric and then do Tylenol to help with the pain. Um, which I know that's a whole nother, a whole nother topic, but I try to encourage that and then see if that helps. I'll give one more interesting, uh, my, my mom had, um, she had Achilles pain for two years and I did a lot of mechanical things with her to help her. And I got her some stuff to help with her gut microbiome. And she wow. did that for two weeks and her heel pain went away entirely. And so I think a lot of times our body has inflammatory processes where we have stress, but really it's just a sign of systemic inflammation. Okay. Yeah. We can put on one more caller for real quick. You're going to have to be like 60 seconds or under and go ahead, caller. Hello. Yes, that's you. Go ahead. Yes. Real quick. Um, right. So quickly, I heard years ago on KCYX that, uh, walking and swimming are the two best kinds of exercise there are, and they're not excessively um, stressful on the joints or anything. And I wonder if uh, you would comment on that. Okay. Sure. I think swimming and walking are both great, and they're really gentle on your body. Um, and so I think walking and swimming, if you do that all the time, you know, it's really good cardiovascularly. Um, but I would say anyone who's getting older should do some kind of resistance training as well. 
Um, I don't think people realize how good resistance training actually is for their heart and lungs. So if you're really atrophied and weak, then your heart and lungs have to work extra hard. Whereas if muscles are strong, um, then you're utilizing your oxygen better and then your heart has to work less hard. So I would do a combination of the two. Excellent. All right, Marvin, why don't you wrap up the show and uh, okay. let's have some contact well, information. Yes. Um, we've been talking to Emily Peterson. She's a doctorate in physical therapy. And if somebody wants to contact you, how would they do that, Emily? Uh, they could send me an email. Um, they could send it to my Mendocino email, which is, uh, I'm still technically Emily Bruton, but I go by my married name, Peterson. Um, my email is ebruton, B-R-U-T-O-N, at mendocino.edu. Say that one more time a little slower. Yeah. Uh, E-B-R-U-T-O-N, so ebruton, at mendocino.edu. Okay. Thank you very much for the show. It was a fascinating, the fascinating thing about, thing about the physical therapy is that it isn't just a mechanical thing, and it isn't just with that one joint. I think the turmeric and the bio, the gut bio stuff with your mother's Achilles tendon was fascinating. And we could all be in better shape and be more flexible and be more active. Thank you very could. much, Emily. Thank you. Okay, Rich. Okay, do you have any idea what you're going to be doing in two weeks, Marvin? Um... I wish I could. Oh, yes. In two weeks, we're going to talk with uh, an ER doctor um, from uh, Fort Bragg Hospital talking about the transition where they're not doing OB anymore and just uh, what's going on at the Coast Hospital now that it's part of the Adventist system. Excellent. Sounds like a good program. Well, we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you very much, Marvin Trotter. This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.